0: Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambodhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambodhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambodhasa. Udāmade mahāsangamamasi. So one of the one of the pivotal. Um, Pieces of Buddha Dharma uh, is uh, kind, of a, kind of the way the Buddha actually looked at experience, presented experience. One of these lumps, you might say, is, is the, the five Kanda, And so this, this word is translated as aggregates, which to me always used to mean the kind of stuff they put in cement and rubble but it means stuff that's aggregates means things that are kind of uh, accumulations or or, um, mixtures so there's five of these accumulations or mixtures or groups Um, and he said these are he talked about these because these are pivotal to process of Suffering and liberation mm. he said grasping or the feeding on or, or attachment to these is a source of suffering, stress and bondage and knowledge, or, and release and knowledge, non-grasping in relationship to these is liberation. so what are these what are these five aggregates or five kunda, five groups, five bags, you might say. Hmm. Form, feeling, perception, consciousness. Uh, f- no, sorry. Form, feeling, perception, um, formations, and consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Now I just wonder why that you know the Buddha actually brought these these up because uh, start you know, well. You know, what's that mean, really? Uh, and, but it's right there in the first teaching of the First Noble Truth. He said, uh, um, Birth is subject to stress and suffering. Aging is subject to stress and suffering. Death is subject to stress and suffering. It's a condition for stress and suffering. Uh, not getting what you want is a condition for stress and suffering. Getting what you don't want is a condition for stress and suffering. Um, um, be, um, not being able to achieve one's wishes is a source of stress and suffering then he says, as a summary, in brief to summarise it all, the five grasper aggregates are a source of suffering so in a way the five aggregates kind of explain the other bit yeah. Um or somehow are a kind of way of of bringing these other experiences into into one focus brings it all together into one focus now these five aggregates are aren't really things they 're more like behaviors you know there's certain ways of that we experience they 're not they're they're not a person they 're not an entity they 're not things they're just ways in which we experience we experience life, we experience form, which means some kind of substance, we experience that happening, we can see it around us, substances, we can experience it, you know, we sit, you know, body feels like a certain substance, we see um, We see it with our eyes, we feel it through our tactile consciousness, everything's some kind of substance, and so this is a, in a way, but uh, that's always changing, isn't it? It's, so it's not a single substance, it's a certain flowing, a certain changing to form. As the Buddha said, the trouble with form is it deforms. It comes and goes, it wavers like a candle flame in the wind. It's always shifting. Mm. Um, so it's not really a thing, but it's a, a property. It's a kind of property that that keeps appearing, a kind of propensity to, to form, to substance. But there's no such thing as an eternal, fixed substance. It kind of flexes and changes. Feeling. feeling we experience feeling all the time, and yet sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's slightly painful, sometimes it's mm, they're not so good, sometimes it's, well, okay, sometimes it's pretty nice, sometimes it's great. And it keeps flickering. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't really have one feeling. You have actually painful, pleasant and middling, neutral feeling. So this is always shifting. So there's no such thing as feeling. Yeah. Because a feeling is always like a river. It's always flowing. But we can't say there isn't any feeling. But feeling is not a fixed thing. Yeah. But, but of course... We want it to be a fixed thing. We want it to be a comfortable thing. Mm. We want things to be fixed and they're not. Uh, perceptions, meanings, interpretations. Uh, blue. How blue is blue. Sky blue. Royal blue. Prussian blue. Midnight blue. Azure. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of blue, isn't it? <laughs> which is the bluest of them. <laughs> you know? The perceptions can be like friendly. What's friendly? Is friendly shaking a hand? Is friendly giving a hug? Is friendly smiling? Is friendly kissing? Is friendly waving? Is friendly twinkling an eye? You know, It depends what kind of culture you're in, is not it? I mean, actually just squeezing somebody's body by itself is not necessarily... Could be deadly. <laughs> yeah, one of the monks who was laid in Japan said, "In, in J- Japan, there's it, very little um, what we what looks to us like friendly body language. So to, to us, it looks like quite stiff and uh, sort of blank, because the language is is so evolved in so many nuances and ways of." Of indicating respect and different gradations of respect, that you don't need much body language. You know that the 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 verbal language does it all, and you have to know that, and you have to kind of slight, slight gestures and slight spaces and slight things that aren't said. You know, which are very obvious to a Japanese, which we don't notice. Aside can be signs of like, don't come any closer. That's enough. Or (laughs) you know, so. What, what, what's what's friendly? What's, uh, what's what's you know how friendly is friendly? Mm. Sometimes if people are too friendly, you feel a little bit uncomfortable. What does friendly mean? Something that makes you feel safe, a reasonable sort of distance, or reasonable sense of comfort with another person. Well, how close is that? Sometimes you don't want to be that close. Some people like to be close at times, and others, you know, not so close in this way. Well, so something we take very much as a, a definite thing, you know, friendly, is not a definite thing. But, you know, so, this, of course, things like this are big problems, aren't they? You know, between different cultures, different... People, different genders, or different ways of indicating or meaningful, meaningful experiences that the other side doesn't get. <laughs> what doesn't work, you know? <laughs> what's interesting, what's inspiring, yeah. you know? What gets you going? Fends. Mm. So perception is very changeable. Not not a fixed thing at all. Then the... the, um, what's called... formations really deal with... various... activities... of the mind, primarily. Such as... um, uh, desire... um, psychological activities... um, animation, anger, desire compassion, mindfulness these are kind of things that we actually pick up it's something we do something that happens through us and also bodily ones like breathing in and out is an activity it's a kind of thing that keeps informing and forming the body And it's, so there's activities, programs, psychologies basically the stuff that keeps moving and uh, generating and directing and, and seizing attention often it's to do with volition or, or some kind of intention is a very prominent feature of it. So, particularly the mental activities are are very significant. The things that we we have a mental act, intention of deceitfulness or intention of generosity. These would be called. These are called formations. They definitely form our behaviour. Our mind states consequences of our experience of what we uh, uh, we experience consequences because of those. These are there's a, this is something else that's shifting and changing all the time. Yeah. The last one, consciousness. Consciousness is is through the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. So the six bases of it, the so six kinds of consciousness. Yeah. It means consciousness means consciousness of. So we're conscious of a visual thing, we're conscious of a tactile thing, we're conscious of a mental thing. So that something becoming present, you know, so is consciousness. It means the the moment of the act the event of something becoming present for you. You had your eyes closed you open your eyes, bonk! Eye consciousness arises. Suddenly, visual conscious visual da- data become present for you. They were there all the time. Were they? Well, you can't tell, can you? When your eyes are open, you can see them. When your eyes are closed, have they all gone away? Or not? Have a look. Oops! You opened your eye again. They are. Is your eye create them? when I was a little boy I used to have monsters under my bed they'd live under my bed I'd get my dad to come and look every time he looked under the bed they disappeared then when we were out of the room they came back again (laughs) I never saw them either but I knew they were there (laughs) so mind consciousness is the one that doesn't close down the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind consciousness is always bringing something into into presence, isn't it? And uh, it can be tinged with uh, with a joy or elation or fear, worry. So it has a certain mental consciousness tinged with all kinds of flavorings to it. So consciousness is not a single thing. Even one single strand of consciousness is not a single thing. You know, there can be... You know, mental consciousness that's happy or mental consciousness that's refined or subtle or gross or intoxicated it's just, so this is why it aggregates, because each one of them is itself um, uh, made up of all kinds of you know, possibilities you know, different kinds each one of them so you can have happy feelings, very happy feelings ecstatic feelings, miserable feelings desperate feelings, that, you know searing, neutral, kind of okay. So even pleasant feeling isn't one single thing. So it's just, all of it is just strands within strands within strands within strands. But the Buddha said you can put them into these five bags, five clusters. And this is the summary of experience. And it's always variable and it's always shifting. And... uh is saying that uh, the the really. So, you know, we can consider this and think, well, wow, what can you do about that, you know? Form, well, it's, there it is. Feeling, you know, bound to feel, perceptions, meanings, well, you've got to, you know, one has to interpret things. Sooner or later, you've got to say, you can't just sit there going, ga, ga, ga. You've got to make some kind of statement about things being good or bad or not very good or enjoyable or deciding what something is. Consciousness things are bound to come in, and the one you can work on is the is the formations. This is the really significant one because it's the active one. It generates. Um, it's the generator. And it's said to be the one that formulates the others. That is, actually, it's a, more like a program. And its program, it continually reprograms the others. So, for example, you know, when we were two, we didn't know maybe what our Labrador dog was, you know. And then, so, but you've, got a, you've got some kind of potential. This is the Sankara, the formation they can take in a piece of information and build a perception out of it. Okay, you know, this kind of sort of golden brown thing, friendly thing with a waggy tail, call it a Labrador. Okay, we've created a new perception. Now we know what a Labrador dog is. Didn't know when I was two, but now by the time I'm six, I do. Something did that. Something wrote a program. That was Sankara. So now you've got that little piece of memory, perception, Fixed, and now you can have all kinds of views about about Labradors. Good one, where they're good Labrador. Bad one, you know, with the pedigrees, you can start to judge them, which you couldn't do before. So the Sankara programs the others, and it can. So you get so particularly perceptions. You build up a huge directory of perceptions, which are like kind of stored up pieces of. A meaning interpretation. You know, so if the first kind of uh, dog you saw was some kind of mangy old mutt, that said this is a dog, and then you saw a healthy dog, you think, you probably think, what's wrong with this healthy dog? It doesn't look mangy. You know, it's not a proper dog because it's got two ears. (laughs) <laughs> they say this about uh, 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 coffee becoming a popular drink and we used to drink this, uh, this kind of coffee powder or this uh, stuff sometimes you get this liquid coffee essence which is caffeine and chicory with a bit of coffee flavour in it it used to come in bottoms of it ghastly brown liquid and you, get, you drink that. That's called coffee. And then when real coffee came along, it, it, t- it didn't taste right because it didn't taste. It didn't have this kind of acrid, bitter taste to it, which were called coffee. So the real thing you had to, so, you know, it didn't taste like the artificial thing. So if you start, so, but so you have to relearn your perceptions of what what coffee is, for example. Mm. And so you've got a car that continually does that. Yeah. It continually changes, models your perceptions, reforms them, adjusts them. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's a certain, you know, that's what, so there's a con- continual in- inclination to keep doing that, to keep learning and training, you know. So when you're very small, you don't have a sexual... Um, interest, so you don't really see men and men and women as being that, you know, distinctive in a way. In the same sort of way as you do when you have uh, when your when your sexual energies come in, when things become extremely meaningful, highly potent. Which, when you're two, doesn't really mean very much. Just big or small is all you know. Um, so, the, but then you get a very very significant piece of programming starts to build something up. And uh, so, this is the kind of thing that's happening all the time. And if you notice, you know, that where we are, where we seem to be right now, we can look at the past and think, wow, that was st- what a stupid thing I did then. That was a really idiot, dumb thing I did then. And But then, you know, 15 years ago, it wasn't. It's just that. Your programming has changed. Your standards have changed. You've moved along. You've raised the bar. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> because you lowered it. You know? <laughs> generally, generally, the learning process is the kind of going up, you know. So, uh, when, you know, the first time meditation, I meditated, ten whole minutes of meditation. Ten minutes of meditation. I don't think I got a single breath in that time, but... Just sitting still for ten minutes was like quite a big deal, actually. Sitting still, not doing anything, and and going inwards. Now look at now, you know. I think ten minutes isn't very much, you know. So the standards change, don't they? And you can look back at the past and judge it, the present, and you can always have this imagination of the future where it's going to be better, or it might be worse. But all you can know, really, is that right now there's something writing, adjusting, shifting it, writing that perceptions always arise in the present. This sankara is continually rewriting them because they're making the comparisons as to how one was and how one will be. So this is a very significant one. It's always presenting the possibilities that I will be something else, you know, and that something else will be you know, I wish it to be better. But what does better mean? happier, what does happy mean? (laughs) You know, you start to really recognize that so much of of the, the mental environment is full of these waverings and tensions and imaginations and hopes and Reservations and withdrawals, and just nervous energy running around, judging and comparing, contrasting and wanting and being uncertain and feeling a bit anxious and a bit slightly restless and quite happy and positive, and then it changing, you know. And somehow this is all just kind of bubbling away. Um, and in that bubbling, we kind of start to fantasize about the ideal that we could be, or should be, or will be, as some sort of permanent state. But have you found a permanent state yet? Do you think there will be one? (laughs) Why do you have that idea? (laughs) There will be one, since there never has been one. A permanent kanda. Mm. permanent perception, a permanent feeling a permanent mental state Mm. and then just isn't that sense of there's something wrong with this there's something not right about that isn't that a continual piece of the Sankara program it's it's always kind of nagging away how bad is it? how good is it? isn't it just the goodness or the badness is one's Limitations of one's ability to be present, to accept, to stop generating something in this moment. <coughs> if one stop generating tension, anxiety, comparisons, contrasts. You know, if one stopped defining, measuring, naming, labelling, hoping, comparing... Wouldn't that be <laughs> a way out? <laughs> a way out of this ongoing of writing programs, of formulating, of generating, of driving, of being unsatisfied? Wouldn't it be way if we just stopped doing that activity? And is that possible? Mm-hmm. Well, we look at yes, the Buddha says it is possible. You yeah, know, two forms: clinging and craving. Craving is the kind of thirst for the new, and clinging is the solidity, the apparent solidity of the the old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of what seems to be present for us, and the two work together because the, you know, when we continue craving, always has to depend upon the idea that something is going to kind of get, otherwise it starts to fade out, doesn't it? So craving really depends upon there being something that will kind of be an end result we can cling to, we can feed on, we can kind of, you know. Substantiate in some way. Yeah. And clinging depends upon craving. That is, there's the, you cling to something that is wished for, wanted, needed. Mm. So we start to contemplate this. Yeah. Start to be, look at this. And... Uh, You know, it's, uh, we can kind of check and restrain uh, or limit our thirst, our craving for, instead of for kind of unskillful things, there's more craving for skillful things, like um, to be more calm or more peaceful or more broad-minded or more gifted or more intelligent or something, you know, like to be like that, okay, you know. And then you start to, well, kind of, who is, you know, look at the basis of, of who's going to be, the, who that's going to be. Is there an end to it? Is there a final place for that? Apart from just there's an imagination in the mind. So we do get, we do get happier, but. It's sort of a, you know yesterday's happiness is just the memory, isn't it? We do get more comfortable with yesterday's comfort is just the norm. I'd like to make it better now so with the five kanda, you really start to look at the basis of 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 what seems to be these substantial. Um, experiences feeling, form, perception volition consciousness take something like form which is the most solid of the lot and the Buddha said well you can look at that in terms of it's not one thing you know, you can say there's four basically four things that create, generate form one is a sense of solidity one is a sense of earth, we call that earth one is a sense of wetness Flowing water. You know. One is a sense of heat, cold. Call that fire. One is a sense of movement. Call that air. And uh, you can't really uh, have, even though there's these four of them, you know. Really, they all they all are present in every apparent substance. Hmm. So earth, you know, it can be dust or it can be mud, depending on how much water's in it. It could be kind of soup. At a certain point, the earth, if it gets soupier and soupier, it becomes mud, slurry, swamp, then it becomes water. But there's no actual, you know, clear line between earth and and water. There's a kind of gradation, how wet it is, you know, dust. To To mud, and so forth, so it's, uh, you really see that all these things the form itself is is really a matter of relative relative change. We think we know something and then it's how we experience things, like how you know, something like water. Now, if you stick your hand in water, you're right in the water put your hand under the water see if your hand feels wet and uh, your hand is completely immersed in water does not feel wet just feels maybe cold or warm (laughs) you know when you jump in a swimming pool you're under the water you don't feel wet you feel a certain sense of pressure or buoyancy or warmth or coolness but the wetness isn't there the so wetness itself is only dependent on some contrast between that and dryness or coolness so we, we interpret wetness how cold I've been meditating how cold is cold, a fire element winter time is a great time to find out about cold this was uh, August. Oh, unbearable. It's January. Think, well, it's cold. How cold is cold? What does cold mean? What is the experience of cold? You kind of meditate, contemplate it. Is you know, it's say, even in this room, some people find it quite warm. Other people are wearing blankets. Some of the monks said he takes his sweater off when he comes in the room. This room, I see other people are kind of wrapping themselves up in shawls. How warm is warm? How cold is cold? Yeah. go outside, some of us are walking around barefoot without socks, other people with how how cold is it Where's the cold? Hmm. We used to do these crazy things like uh um a monk I knew his birthday was in January and what he liked to do was jump in a lake in January. His birthday. He talked me into this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually I was it was in December, which is pretty much the same. It was in Northumberland in December. This kind of by that lake, the howling wind blowing across his lake in Northumberland in December. Ugh. And so we got psyched up to do this crazy thing, you know, jump in this lake. So we go down to this lake in the evening, start undressing in the cold, and your mind's going, This is crazy, this is crazy. But you just kind of get this kind of thing going. And then you jump in the water. And when you hit the water, it's not cold. <laughs> you don't experience cold, you experience an experience called panic. <laughs> <laughs> not cold though <laughs> what happens to your kind of mind because in this shell shock state and in the body that you feel this tremendous rush of heartbeat body really thrashing, kicking spluttering, then before you know it you're actually out again onto dry land wet with a howling wind blowing and you feel like your body feels like it's on fire what happened to wet, what happened to cold <laughs> yeah So we just recognize that even these things like fire, water, earth, you know, are all dependent on, on consciousness, on, on the kind of where, where, you, where you're standing. You, know? you can't say there's no such thing, but all you can recognize is that the, the contact impressions are very are dependent upon consciousness and contact impressions are another kind of formative tendency because you can, when you, something contacts you, it can start off being, well, oh, it's not very nice. Then after a few minutes, I really don't like that. And after a while, this is unbearable. You know, the impression changes. Yeah. So once we can't to start really recognize this, how silent is silent. How, much, how, much, how noisy is noise. I used to have a, being a meditator, kind of craving for silence. real. so I wouldn't be disturbed by things. And I was in, living in Thailand. Thailand's not a very silent country. There's always frogs burping and croaking. There's cicadas twittering. There's monkeys howling. There's music playing. Everything is kind. Of, it's a noisy, and because generally the the buildings are in a fairly lightweight, flimsy, to so they don't need they don't need protection against the cold. The noise moves in and out. So it's, it's quite you're always impinged upon by noise by sound. And uh, I used to feel quite irate about it because I think I've come here to meditate. This is a monastery, it's supposed to be quiet, and yet there's this whack 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 coming from the pond. They should do something about that. And there's this... <laughs> Cicados, and then they sometimes have a kind of dumber talk coming over a tannoy system. You know, oh, shut up. You know? <laughs> Trying to meditate. The most annoying ones were the humans, of course, because you always think they're doing it deliberately, or they could do better. And I get quite just kinda of quiet down and it's whack, whack, whack coming up shut up. Um, so I'd never get enough silence. And then the monastery I was at, one time they, they had a big mass ordination ceremony. They decided they were gonna ordain ninety nine monks. So this was a it was a big ceremony, big festival. Uh, and then Some of these, this is a town monastery, so some of the town monasteries have a cultural aspect to them. They kind of, uh, people come there just because it's part of the culture. This was a a lot of meditation going on in the monastery, but it also had a cultural aspect. And when they had a a big festival like this, a big, there was, they were were building a post of the horse, they had a big kind of festival. There were four uh, films being played, you know. Theatres in the monastery. Different films being played. There was continual chanting going on. There was people, firing fireworks. This went on all day and all night for 11 days. All day and all night. It was never silent. Not for a moment was it ever silent. It was continual. Not just even subtle noise, but loud noises. Noises carrying... Sounds of exuberance, of carefreeness, of, of uh, violent noises bang shouts, cries, clamours, wails coming I mean, from the films, sonorous noises, you know, the whole lot of it. And every one of them, on my mind's going, oh, I don't it shouldn't be like this, you know. Till after a, about nine days, I think, finally some, my mind gave up. <laughs> Feeling it shouldn't be like this, and then it was kind of silent. There was a silence which wasn't uh, wasn't there was no sound, but sound was not wasn't noise. It wasn't digging into me. It didn't have kind of unpleasant meanings. It didn't. It wasn't referred to or compared with something else. There wasn't the notion of silence. So there was a kind of silence. There was a, not exactly auditory silence, but a, a stillness of mind, of not generating some kind of comparison, desire, wish, frustration about it all. Something stopped. Mm-hmm. The form, formation, sankara, stopped. And we felt quite happy, quite peaceful. Quite a lot of things. Oh, good! I mean, things are going nicely. Everybody's having a good time in the monastery. Wonderful! What a great day it is! You know, suddenly the whole kind of interpretation experience changed from being one of a of an annoying impinge upon my time as a serious meditator to, well, congratulations! People are happy. (laughs) They're having a good time. So it shifted. So the feeling shifted, the perception shifted through something giving up. And the sense, you know, that's kind of how it works. You can feel how hard. One of the things about clinging is you just keep, like a rat, like a terrier chewing a rat, you just keep going to it, chewing it, chewing it, chewing it, stubbornly going to it, it, holding it, holding it, holding it, holding it, that's clinging. You can feel that kind of Teeth in. I'm not going to give up on this one. You know, (laughs) and that's what makes it solid. And it's um, (coughs) interesting how we. Why do we cling to things that are not even pleasant? You know, why do we cling to things that irritate us? Now well, the clinging gives us a sense of, you know, I'm I'm other than this. I can judge this. I can get angry about this. I can have an opinion about this. I can decide it's going to be this way. I can talk to somebody else about it. You know, I've got to. Th- we cling to something, or well, there is clinging to something. In order that there can be this sense. Of me having an opinion, having a desire, having a thought, having a future, having a past, being hurt, being appreciated. We cling, or there is clinging, so that there can be the sense of me. And when there isn't, there isn't that sense. So it's not that I cling, but clinging generates this sense of me, and that's both the strange compulsion of it, desire to be something, craving to be something, the sense of standing separate from experience and that's of course the strange pain of it discomfort of it I'm sort of left out here wondering what am I going to be? what am I going to do? where am I going to go? what am I, should I be thinking about? am I getting anywhere? what do people think about me? am I any good? is this the right thing? And I'm always lost because I've separated myself from the experience. And I think, well, how can I stop doing that? I'll try and find some way of not of really getting into things. And it can't happen that way. <clears throat> it can't happen through the, the me sense deciding it's gonna do something. because it's already starting from the wrong position we're starting from the position of an illusion the sense of this me sense when you try to find that it's even more relative shifting and illusory and heat happiness unhappiness it's the most Nebulous thing, on one hand, on the other hand, it's the most highly detailed piece of script. when you look at it, see it's just a piece of, another piece of script, isn't it? And the moment of seeing it, it kind of falls away. my story, my little whim, my hope, my wound, my feeling. <laughs> just the feeling, just the perception, just the thought, just the sound, just the sensation. As soon as you touch it, it falls away. And yet it keeps there as a potential. It's called the ahankara. The ahankara, which means the the program that generates the sense of I am. And that's the one the big daddy behind them all that keeps generating all the other programs to resist, to crave, to favor, to reject, to compare, to hope, to contrast, to cure, to feel, to liberate, to become something other. That's the the central one all these other ones depend upon. it's not easy it's not e- easy to explain is it, but so what do I want to do you know, when you feel that well, everything I do is somehow tainted with this I am doing bit, but you know, the Buddha said you have to use the the canvas. The this is all, all, all that happens it's not that you get rid of them Even the Buddha experiences things in terms of these aggregates. But the basis of clinging is examined, seen through, understood with dispassion. And the volition keeps pushing, desire, the craving to become something to stand out from something, to step back from something, to get something, to be apart from something, that fidgety tightening that can be relaxed. And there's a definite volition or definite sankhara, you might say, a definite program or formation that does the relaxing, you know, and this is called the, you know, it's the, say, in brief, it's the whole potential of the Eightfold Path, is that which keeps resting upon these points. And, you know, rela- relaxing, that the clenching up program. Particularly, of course, the meditative ones, mindfulness, samadhi, Concentration, things like equanimity, patience, kindness. They're all definite things we can understand, we can do. And as we do them, we place them on these these tremendous um, programs we have, these formative tendencies. They start unwinding them, unraveling them. You get looser, easier. More, don't know who I am really. Don't really have a strong opinion. Don't really believe in my past. You know? Could be, maybe I was, maybe I will not Don't really believe in my future. Don't really believe in my present, actually. You know? Um, so with that sense of that, not, not so hard and rigid and solid, you start to experience a kind of the freeing up of that clinging. and then the craving. Because when there isn't a basis, when we're not going to build something, then the craving itself starts to fade out. Because craving always works with a sense of "I will get the result." When we don't believe in results, when you're not emotionally grasped by results. When your mind doesn't get excited or despairing about results, you know, then the craving starts to give up. Mm. Isn't this what it's about? Meditation—why it's like it is. You know? the the desire, the interest, the chanda to meditate. You know, there has to be a kind of firing up or warming up of that and yet all these uh, uncertainties of am I doing, this isn't very good, how good is good, you know. What's a good meditation? How peaceful is peaceful, what's the future we expect or aim for and you start kind of realise yeah there's relative things you can say but really what you can know is this sort of restless shifting of mental energy can we stabilise that Can we start to not generate? Can we give up? Something's going to give up. So the Buddha was saying, you know, even uh, once one's mind becomes, say, quite peaceful and quiet, uh, you know, when the consciousness becomes equanimous, not not flavoured with these uh, spicy or tangy. Um, fashionings So even this we recognise this itself is a result of practice of things that have been done itself is not to be something to be clung to as this is it, I've got it I am this it's to be seen just as it is that uh, release from attainment Release from finality. Mm. So these are, uh, and then of course, you know, this is, of course is very wonderful. You know, when you start to sort of, you know, get the get the sense of that, like what this bringing our life, bringing us back our life out of this trap of expectation and fear, dread, hope craving, clinging. still we can feel things see things, perceive things touch things, taste things but that hardness, that stuckness that resistance, that snagging, that can go this is exactly what the Buddha taught not the Elimination of the five aggregates, but the elimination of clinging to them because this is the ending of suffering.